Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We will have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will touch on the NBA, and we will have our best for last. Now, as always, you can like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, and don't forget to follow the social media handle, at Daytime Sports. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Now, I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. A very energized, very packed uh, show this Friday morning. A um, little personal news for me. Uh, I'm graduating from a master's degree today uh, from LSU, so I will be officially a Tiger um, alumni. I'm very excited about that. Um, very excited about that, actually. So a little personal news for me before we jump right into the show. Um, Again, as always, like the intro said, like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the Twitter page, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Also, the same social media handle, at JTimesports. I repeat, at JTimesports. Justin Time Sports should also pull up as well if you just search it in the bar and don't, you can't spell the handle for some reason, whatever. Um, But let's get right into the show. Uh, What a ball game last night. Um, I am excited for this matchup for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, and if you're the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders, eat your heart out because the game's over. I mean, you, your life is over for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, that was Brady Manning 2.0. And, you know, we got Brady Manning um, in the 90s, early 2000s. They were in the same division. They were both in the AFC East or Central. East, I believe. Central, one of the two. They were in the same division. And through conference realignment, the Colts got shipped to the AFC South. Um, and the Patriots were in the East. So that entail broke up twice a year Brady Manning. The only way they would meet is if they had a regular season matchup, but they did a lot, or the playoffs, where they did an awful lot. Um, but it broke up the every twice a year, sometimes three times a year, um, three times a year Brady Manning matchup. Well, Mahomes and um Mahomes and Herbert that is that is the matchup that is 30 times over the next 15 years um that is going to be those are the two most special physically quarterbacks physically special quarterbacks I should say in the NFL I mean you could throw Josh Allen in that mix in terms of what their ability to do combining running and throwing but Herbert and uh, Mahomes, to me, are at a different level than Allen because they don't have the pitfalls Allen have. Allen quarterback rating looks like a, a really great roller coaster. It's in the 60s, and then it's 110, and then it's in the 70s, and then it's 130, and then it's in the 40s, and then it's 100. You know, it's it's very up and down. Like I said, a great roller coaster, like a mountain range, if you will. How his uh, quarterback rating looks. Herbert has points where he'll pitfall. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes had a slump month. Um, but those guys, man, the quarterback level, the level of quarterback we've seen on um, display last night in the AFC West was absolutely spectacular. 
And like I said, I can't wait to see these guys for the next 15 times, the next 15 years, 30 times, maybe even more if they meet in the playoffs, battling it out for supremacy. Um, and it makes it even better. They won in each other's buildings. Herbert went into Kansas City, beat, uh, beat Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes goes into uh, SoFi in Los Angeles and beats Justin Herbert. Um, you know, it, it was a great game. Um, you saw two different styles of coaching on display. You had Brandon Staley's aggressive, defensive-minded, uh, defensive brain himself, but aggressive. It's fourth and two, fourth and three, we're going because I've got Justin Herbert. Or, and I know Patrick Mahomes on the other side, so we're going to go. And then you look at Andy Reid on the other side. He isn't that way. Um, you know, he plays a lot of analytic football. He does. Uh, famously, Mahomes with the, with the head injury. In the playoff game against the Browns, he did sprint right option with the back of quarterback because analytically and what he's shown in practice, he can get the play and he got it. Um, and so when you look at how Andy Reid is coaching that team, it is a very player centric coaching style, but it's also a very aggressive with his offense. So third and 15 for a lot of people in the NFL now is throw it for a pass interference call or hand the ball off and punt. Andy Reid designing a seven, eight yard crossing route through traffic to try and free up that guy for yards after the catch, which he did a lot with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And almost felt like Patrick Mahomes went to the huddle uh, with Andy Reid and say, look, screw the rest of the team <laughs> in a way. But it's me, Kelsey and uh, Hill. That's it. Um, nobody else is going to trust the football. And so they did a great job in that all game. Um, or at least later down the stretch, just riding with those three people. Um, so it was a pretty great game plan um, from Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who deserves a lot of head coaching just consideration from several spots, especially Jacksonville. Um, and that it was it was a great game. Like I said, to see these two guys, 15 years, 30 times. Possibly 35, 36, they meet in the playoffs. Every game is going to be marquee. Every game is going to be must-see. Every game should be in prime time. Thursday, Monday, Sunday, the second window in um, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. You know, the second window on Sunday, Saturday, prime time when you start flex scheduling. Get these guys in front of the country because they're two good guys. They're two amazing quarterback talents, and they're going to be the future of the NFL. So get these guys in front of the mass media, in front of mass America. Get them in front of 20, 30, 40 million homes um, because these guys deserve it. And it will be a showcase for the NFL. I mean, hell, put them in Europe one game. Let these guys go at it in London. You know, these are the kind of duo that you want spreading uh, the NFL across the world and across the uh, country especially. So absolutely spectacular show last night. Um you know, Brandon Staley's taking a little heat for down decisions. I get it. Uh, if they work, he's a genius. If they don't, why did you not get the field goal? You know, you can't work in hindsight and coaching. So I totally get it from uh, Brandon Staley, especially with Herbert. They, they're an aggressive team. He said it. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, they're an aggressive team. John Harbaugh and the Ravens go forward on fourth a lot. You know, a lot of times Lamar and the rest of that crew is good enough to get it. So no one criticizes Harbaugh. Um he went for two against the Steelers. I thought it was a bad idea, but to them it was fourth and three. You know, so it's kind of like they go for it a lot. Um, there's a couple of aggressive coaches, Harbaugh and Staley being the two most aggressive. Um, but those guys are going to have to just live with their mistakes if it was a mistake. But you can't work in fear-based coaching because um, you'll never win. 
being fear-based. I mean, the most famous thing of, you know, saying screw the analytics, screw the fear is Sean Payton running out of surprise onside kick to start the second half of the Super Bowl uh, for the Saints against the Colts. It ultimately gave the Saints another touchdown drive and made it where the Colts are playing catch up the rest of the game. So it's just it, aggressiveness wins in life uh, and wins in coaching. He got burned this time, um, but he's been right plenty of other times, you know, especially against Cleveland. So um, kudos to both those coaching staffs. Kudos to both those quarterbacks. The crowd was electric uh, in SoFi. Uh, first time I've heard a primetime game in SoFi really feel like a home field advantage for the Chargers. So great for them if they're truly building a foothold in Los Angeles. But to, speaking of a team with a foothold in Los Angeles, the Dallas Cowboys are rolling, rolling on. Uh, they took down the Washington football team handedly. Um, it was I don't, know, I don't want to say embarrassing, but at one point it was a little embarrassing. Um, the Cowboys physically dominated them from start to finish. Micah Parsons has firmly cemented himself. Screw the defensive rookie of the year. That's over. Um, he has firmly cemented himself in the defensive player of the year um, discussions. I mean, he's right up there with the TJ Watts, Jamal's Garrett. Um, he's right up there with those guys. And he's looking to do something that has not been done in the NFL since Lawrence Taylor, which would be a rookie player uh, winning Defensive Player of the Year. Lawrence Taylor is the only player to have done it. Um, and so, of course, they asked Mike about it. Micah, smartly, downplayed the situation, saying it's a little early to be comparing him to Lawrence Taylor, uh, who is the most dominant edge rusher in the history of the NFL. Lawrence Taylor is so good. Lawrence Taylor was so good at football, so good at pass rushing that he made three positions famous. His own, the edge rusher, the out three, four linebacker, edge rusher, left tackle, and the head athletic trainer. Because if he didn't have the left tackle, people knew your head athletic trainer because you usually put your quarterback out of the game. Um, he just flat out dominated opponents and Micah Parsons is similarly doing the same thing. Now, obviously he's not putting people on a training table. They have uh, taken um, a lot of the physicality, especially the hits of the quarterback out, even though they had a questionable one in the game on Taylor Heineke, uh, had him shaken up on the strip sack on fourth down, I believe, um, with the Cowboys basically ended the game by running it back. Uh, they had a very questionable, uh, non roughing the passer call there. But other than that, those Cowboys are just that defense has woken up. I don't trust the offense. They don't have a run game. And we've seen this in Dak Prescott's career. We've seen this reflective in his football life. He needs a run game. He is a very um, run-based quarterback in terms of this. If he doesn't have a run game, he is more likely to fail than not. And so not having that run game is starting to reflect um, on his play. But I think that's something they can easily fix. Uh, Tony Pollard with the torn plantar fascia is dealing with that at the moment. But they're going to have to rely on Zeke. Um, the guy from Hard Knocks, can't think of his name. Call him up, see if he's got some uh, couple five, ten carries in him in the next game. But they've got to figure something out because they need a run game. Um, in Dak Prescott, I believe, is 28-0 when his offense runs more than they pass. So they need to run the ball, basically. They need to run the ball, play good defense in order for Dak Prescott to be his most successful. So hopefully we're going to see that. 
Another huge game, the game I picked in Jack's pack incorrectly, was the 49ers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, great game, great contest. Um, between a quarterback and Jimmy G, often disrespected due to his injuries, um, often cast aside due to those, well, very injuries. Um, but he can play. He can definitely play. Um, and when he is healthy, he can really play. And so he was healthy on Sunday. He outplayed Joe Burrow, who played a good game himself. It's not like Joe Burrow played badly. It's not like he was 12 or 35 or something insane number. Um, Joe Burrow played pretty well. Uh, brought the foot brought the Bengals rather back several times in that game. Um, went toe to toe with Jimmy G in that offense, and he ultimately almost won the game. I believe if Joe Burrow gets the ball first and over, oh, he did get the ball first. I believe if he gets the ball back, he goes and gets another field goal, and they win that game. But ultimately, he, he did not get the ball back because he got a field goal to start the overtime. And then the 49ers marched down and get seven. Um, and so it's a situation where if you're the Bengals, man, that hurt. You know, it hurt me watching. I know that for, for certain um, because I had a preseason prediction where the Bengals were going to win 10 games and they were going to get in the playoffs. Well, they wet the bed against the Bears. I don't know. Joe Burrow had the worst game of his life. They give up that game against the 49ers. And... They missed the kicks back-to-back-to-back with the Packers. You know, that's three games right there. They could have easily won and would have had their 10 wins already. They'd be, you know, 10-1, 10-2, something like that. Um, But instead, they're not. Or 10-3 or something like that. But instead, they're not. They're 7-6 and and scrapping even harder now to get into a wild card spot. Do I believe they get it? Ultimately, I do. Um... But it's going to be a lot harder for them than the path I had previously laid out for them. As opposed to the 49ers, the NFC is wonky in the middle. Um, because you look at it, you got the Cowboys going to win the East. The Buccaneers are going to win the South. The Cardinals are going to win the West. And the Packers are going to win the North. But the Rams are out there. The 49ers are out there. The Saints, Falcons, or Panthers at this point are out there. The Vikings are hovering around. So there's a lot of different organizations. Uh, Washington football team is hovering around. The Eagles are hovering around now. So there's a lot of different football teams in the NFC that can make a run at the playoffs, especially that wild card position. And so it's going to be very interesting to see if and when one of those teams decides to separate themselves. And then I feel like week 17 and week 18 is going to be a very crucial time in the NFL because it's going to be a lot of wild card teams fighting. Um, you look at, you know, as low as the 12th seed on some sides has a very legitimate chance at making the playoffs as a wild card team. And I don't recall when the last time 12, the 12th seed um, in mid-December had a legitimate opportunity at the playoffs. So that just means it's working. It means add a game is working. That means the way the schedule is going is working. Everything about the NFL is working because the whole point of sports and the whole point of professional sports is to keep as many fan bases interested as possible. Um, You know, from a marketing and a money standpoint, keep as many fan bases entertained and interested as possible. Um, If you can do that, if you can, you know, college football has a problem. It's pretty regional. And look at the teams in the playoffs. Georgia's in the Southeast. Alabama's in the Southeast. Um, Cincinnati is not, Notre Dame is not, not Notre Dame. Um, 
Man, Michigan is not. Sorry, Michigan is not. So that's keeping at least one half the country entertained. Now the West Coast does not have a representative, but you know it's keep one half of the country entertained. As opposed to the NFL, if your team at week 13 is out, then you're watching the game maybe, but you're probably not watching any other games, not to the playoffs because your team is out. Uh, you lose interest on your Sundays. And so it is a very important thing for a league money-wise to ensure that as many fan bases stay engaged with the sport for as long as possible. So that is a massive achievement for the NFL, uh, keeping fan base like the 49ers and the Bengals and a lot of those other teams engaged. Great win by the 49ers against the Bengals. I said I picked the Bengals to win the game, so very much kudos to the 49ers. Bucks versus the Bills. A team, a battle of teams in different situations. So you look at the Bills, they were summarily embarrassed by the Patriots. I mean, you lost to a team at home by three, with a team with throwing three passes. Sean McDermott made these comments like, that's not trying to give Bill any more credit than he already does. Um, you've got the Micah Hyde and the other safety getting so mad at a press conference that they stormed out and felt disrespected. Um, you had a lot of different things occurring for the Bills. Um, you had people calling Bills Mafia a small crime syndicate or a street corner gang. Um, I mean, it's just, it was, it was a lot of disrespect towards the Bills. And you look at the Bucks, you know, what are people saying? Oh, man. The only reason the Bucks are really doing anything because they're in the NFC South. Tom Brady's trying to show his age. Um, you know, they're finally kicking some armor. There's the Antonio Brown mess. They're having injuries all over the place. And so that is, it was two teams, you know, doing well, but not doing to the level that they were expected to do before the season started or even early in the season. And so when these two teams met, it was a clash. Um, you know, history was made obviously Tom Brady through his 700th career total touchdown pass that is um that is postseason and regular season but you had you know two mobile quarterbacks apparently tom brady with two very slick runs um for big plays and yardage you had josh allen got his team going by running in the end zone and scoring got himself going by running in the end zone and scoring and so ultimately it comes down to an overtime and it comes down to i have tom brady if you're the bucks and you don't if you're the bills um and 50-some-odd yards strike to Brashad Perriman later, or catch and run to Brashad Perriman later, and the Bucks are sitting pretty. Um, like I said, that was Brady, 700 touchdown pass. Um, and, I, and I wondered, man, and I wondered if Sean McDermott wants to give Bruce Arian some extra love that he didn't want to give to Bill Belichick and hear me out. The Bills refused to run the ball into a group of a lot of DBs. Todd Bowles at a certain point just said, screw it. We're going to send the house and we believe you won't run it. We strongly believe you will not run the football. And so Todd Bowles kept sending the house. He kept sending it, kept sending it, kept sending it. And the Bills kept throwing it, kept throwing it, kept throwing it. And ultimately, um, Ty Bowles was right that the Bills would not commit to the run enough to get him out of that blitzing style. And so ultimately the Bucks were to win the game. 
And they, but Josh Allen heated up, but it was just too little, too late. In my personal game of the week, Rams and Cardinals, um, huge game. One of those again, I speak about pride and um, and viewpoint, pride, viewpoint, and self esteem. And I, I spoke about it last week. I said this is one of those games where it's huge for both sides because both of them are trying to prove or disprove a narrative. For instance, if you're the Los Angeles Rams, you're trying to prove that your collection of stars is going to win. So you have an unconventional head coach in terms of age. You had an unconventional head coaching strategy for the preseason in terms of nobody playing in it. You have an unconventional um, post-game presser. You know, and it's just, it, it's a lot happening inside of the Los Angeles Rams organization. Um, you got Von Miller. You got Odell. Beckham. Then you learn right before the game. Yeah, you don't have Jalen Ramsey with Tyler Higby because of COVID. So you might want to try and figure that out. Um, and you look on the Arizona Cardinal side. You have a hobble D hop. You have an offensive line that is beginning to wear down. Um, Kyler Murray is running less. I assume trying to protect his injury, but it's it is unfortunately slowing down the offense because it is a system that depends on Kyler Murray's ability to create. Uh, so like a point guard, kind of if the play breaks down, can now he can move to the side, make a great pass, or change his angle and stuff like that. So him being a little hobbled is slowing down, along with D-Hop being now lost for the regular season. Um, we'll speak about that a little later. But, um, you know, it is a situation where you're in Arizona. You don't have J.J. Watt um, to really put pressure back at Matt Safford because when Chandler Jones had his week one five sack game, J.J. Watt was making sure they could not double Chandler Jones. Because the one time he slid Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt made a play. And so not having him is changing how they play not only pass defense, but definitely run defense. Um, Odell Beckham scored for the third time in as many weeks. Um, starting to, I mean, I knew it was Beckham Mayfield, but starting to get a lot of the evidence that it was Beckham Mayfield that was holding that duo back. Um, Matt Stafford made a beautiful Throw to Vance Jefferson. My, it had high heels, and it was it was great. It was a very beautiful ball um, that he was able to fire into the hole um, against the guys on the Cardinals. I mean, great all-time pass. Um, kudos to him. Um, it was a, fa- a football that's family moment post-game. Van Jefferson, receiver for the Rams, who caught the Matt Stafford bomb is the son of the Arizona Cardinals wide receivers coach. So that was a fun um, that was a fun moment and a uh, touching moment seeing the father and the son hug out um, after the game. But that, that game was huge for playoff implications. So for the Cardinals, they come from the one to the three seed. And for the Rams, they sit tightly at the five with the hope that they can catch Dallas um, and knock Dallas down to the five and the uh, Rams pick up, or Rams rather, they can catch the Cardinals, I'm sorry, catch the Cardinals, make the Cardinals the five to play the Rams on the road, and then the Rams were able to host the playoff games uh, after that. So, I mean, I mean, you never know with the NFC. It's a pretty packed, wild, crazy division, uh, in a conference rather, but we are definitely going to keep our eye on it and keep you guys updated when things change. Now, I am going to shift to this current week of the NFL right after this quick break.
welcome back into the show and now we are going to jump right into this new week uh, NFL week 15 and we're going to start off with the biggest headline in the NFL it seems to be COVID um COVID has absolutely racked several teams um and by several I do mean several um Massive outbreaks on the Rams and the Browns. Um, I strongly believe that the um, I strongly believe that the Raiders are going through an outbreak as well. Several other teams, the uh, the Browns are getting hit really bad. Um, a couple other teams are going through it as well, and it's uh, going to affect some games. It's going to affect some games big time. Um, it's gotten to the point where they have decided to push. Um, new new rules regulations and mandates onto the nfl players in terms of okay we're back to basically how it was last year where everyone has to wear a mask regardless of vaccination status um you know we're doing virtual or outside meetings again um you know so we can't even have a meeting like in theory you can't meet in the meeting room like I mean, I'm not, I'm not even sure there's a space requirement anymore. Like, it's either I thought the I thought it said outside or virtual meetings again. Um, I can't wait to see this enacted on Hard Knocks because I mean the legislation came down yesterday, so we should see it on Hard Knocks next week, presumably uh, for the Colts. So it's gonna be very interesting to see um, this situation because in the NFL, you you know, guys, it's so many people. You know what I'm saying? In the, in the NBA, it's 450. You know, like it's just it's 30 teams, it's 15 players, it's 450 players. It is what it is. In the NFL, however, it's thousands at one time are currently playing in the NFL. 1,500 or 1,600, something like that. It's currently playing in the NFL. It's so many different more people, so many more personalities. Um, that's not even counting practice squad guys. It's just you just have like this gets pushed back on. You have famously unvaccinated players. Cole Beasley, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, uh, just to name a few, are some of the popular players that we know of off the top of my head that are unvaccinated. Um, and so they are cre- they were already creating issues on the side of their buildings, but now you're going to put this mandate on everybody, regardless of vaccination status. So, like the Bucks, the Bucks don't have a single COVID case, right? The whole team, roster, staff, everyone in the building is vaccinated. Um, they don't have a single COVID case, but they are now under the same legislation as the Cleveland Browns who are having a COVID outbreak. Um, thanks to um, the NFL's new legislation, uh, this was talked about uh, by Baker Mayfield. He said that the NFL is effectively making it up as they go, which is true. But he, he's doubting some of the legislation, doubting some of the rules, and also questioning why their game Saturday has not been postponed at, uh, because... Cleveland, I think, has lost something like 20 players due to COVID protocols. Um, and so Baker Mayfield is wondering aloud on Twitter why the game hasn't been postponed. Um, it's something I'm sure the NFL is considering. Um, but at this present time, they have already said that they plan on finishing the finishing the uh, season as presently constructed. And therefore, the NFL at this present time is not going to move um, the schedule around. So we're going to see, though. If, I mean, if, that, if the Cleveland Browns still has 20 players out thanks to COVID, in my opinion, it's going to be hard for you to look those players in the face and say, you know, A, your player safety is most important, and B, we're going to play this game 
um, regardless of what you guys think. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that all shakes up. But speaking of that Raiders-Browns game, if it is played this week, it is a very important game. Um, it's going to be played, in my opinion, no matter whether it's played Saturday, it might be played Tuesday and Wednesday. But it is a very, very important game um, for a lot of different reasons. And mainly playoff seating. Neither one of these teams has an, has an inside track or any track, really, into winning their division. And so by having these two square off now, this could be a very important tiebreaker in a mere matter of weeks. Um, because it's week 15, obviously the season in week 18. So in a mere matter of weeks, we could have um, a situation where Raiders and Browns have the same record. And, you know, winner of this game gets in because of a tiebreaker because they beat the other. Um, so massive playoff implications in for this game. Uh, one of the bigger games on the schedule in terms of a direct competition um, for winning um, a wild card spot because they ultimately may stand in each other's way. So it is a very huge game. Um, looking at the quarterbacks in this game, Cleveland may not have theirs. Um, Baker Mayfield is currently... Um, on the COVID list, along with Case Keenum. The Raiders, however, even being in Vegas, have not had a COVID case, um, or, or at least they're not dealing with a massive outbreak um, right now as, in regards to the team, as opposed to, you know, how Cleveland's dealing with theirs or how um, lost the Rams dealing with their massive outbreak. Um, no one in the Raiders organization is dealing with a massive outbreak at this time, which is very beneficial right now. Having a team 100% vaccinated like the, like the Bucks are, I think the Raiders are one of those teams with a really high vaccination rate, um, is advantageous right now because if your team doesn't catch COVID and the other team, a lot of the Browns, has 20 people out, including two of their three quarterbacks, it is very advantageous to you um, in regards to competition. So the vaccine, in a way, has become a competition variable. Patriots versus the Colts. A um, little bit of history here. This is the first time um, in this rivalry since 1997. I was all of a few months old when uh, the last time that a, a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady was not involved in this game. Um, so historic uh, level um longevity from both of those guys and sustain greatness on both of them in order to be around and have this considered a rivalry for so long um the coast still refer to it as a rivalry as a patriots fan i don't see it that way although it may be a new level wentz versus um mac jones could be the new manning brady maybe um we'll definitely gonna uh, check that out and definitely see because it will be very um it'll be very advantageous to the um, both organizations to have their futures already at quarterback. But this is a big game, huge game. Uh, if you look at the Patriots, they're trying to keep pace now with the Kansas City Chiefs because as it sits right now, this very second, the Kansas City Chiefs have 10 wins, they're 10 and four, and they are the number one seed in the AFC and the Super Bowl will have to go through Arrowhead Stadium and they will get the bye. Patriots win on Saturday. They get the first seed back by virtue of tiebreakers and things of that nature, but you know, they're trying to keep pace now with the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're the Indianapolis Colts, I spoke about it. You know, the AFC is pretty packed in together. They're not as packed in as the NFC, but the AFC is pretty packed in there. And so if you have a situation where you're the Colts 
every win, especially over a win like the Patriots, who are not going to lose to very many teams, every win is going to be massively important in terms of owning tiebreakers and just having wins in general. Um, and so that is going to be huge in the ultimately in the in the playoff standings, having those level of wins over teams like the Patriots and other teams that won't lose very many football games. Um, so very big kudos and moment uh, and big game uh, for the for both teams here. And looking at the game though, the matchup suits favorably, in my opinion, for the Colts. Now, I'm a Patriots fan, but the Colts have a very good run game led by Jonathan Taylor. And so that is very advantageous to them because the Patriots aren't the best against the run. We're actually substantially better, especially in my opinion, against the pass. You've got J.C. Jackson. You've got Calvin Newell, who's got one of the highest graded coverage uh, statistics in this season. Um, you know, you Christian Barmore, to me, is a little better against the pass and against the run. Uh, Matthew Judon is a pass rusher. So uh, it's a situation where Carson Wentz may struggle, but Jonathan Taylor is in a setup in a good spot to have a great game. But you're playing the Patriots. So odds are the world knows Jonathan Taylor is supposed to get the ball, supposed to have a great game. So Bill Belichick is going to try and make you play left-handed. He's famous for that. I don't. I expect him to load the box and dare Carson Wentz to beat you. Um, if Carson Wentz beats you, you draw him in the middle of the field, you shake his hand, and you go about your day. Uh, if he doesn't beat you, then you win the game ultimately. But I think Bill would have a better time sleeping at night if Carson Wentz does it, as opposed to Jonathan Taylor doing it. Um, and you know, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of chirping back and forth already. Uh, Okereke, who's a linebacker for the Colts, um, stated that you know the game plan is to make Mac Jones beat them to try and contain Ramon J. Stevenson and uh, Damian Harris, Brandon Bolden, J.J. Taylor, and the rest of that uh, Patriots run game. That they are going in there to try and make Mac Jones beat them, which I assume is going to be the strategy until Mac Jones proves he can do it repeatedly. Uh, teams are going to try and make him beat them. I don't necessarily prescribe to that theory. I believe Mac Jones is way good enough in order to accomplish that, in order to pull that task off. But teams are going to try it until he is proven to have done it. Um, big, big game. Uh, Raiders and Browns. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that name. I just realized I didn't pick it. Uh, Raiders and Browns, not in my Jacks pack. We are going to pick it. I'm going to pick the Raiders due to the COVID situation in Cleveland. Who knows? I mean, they're not really practicing. Um, they don't really have a quarterback. Um, a lot of guys are down. Grant Delpit, Baker Mayfield. They've lost several staff members. So um, at this present time, I am uh, picking the Las Vegas Raiders. Thanks to most thanks to the Cleveland Browns COVID situation. However, I would not pick Patriots and Colts right now due to the fact of it is in Jack's pack. So we will pick that game a little later. But now we're going to take a look at the Washington football team versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, this is one of those games that we spoke about it a few minutes ago, or at least in the terms of the context. We spoke about how the NFC is really packed. And two of the names I named were the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, two representatives of the NFC East. Uh, they're going to battle a lot over these last month and a half. Um, the East has a pretty backloaded schedule. And what I mean by backloaded is the damn division plays each other over and over and over again. Um, I believe Washington has five of their last six in division. Dallas has something like five of their last six. The Giants go five straight. It's just it's crazy that like the Eagles play a lot of their games. They play a lot of their games back to back to back inside the division. I like that. 
Um, because like right now, Dallas has a three, effectively a two and a half game lead over the Washington football team. Well, if Dallas wets the bed against the division over the last month, it goes one and three or something like that, one and four versus the division. Washington goes three and two, four and one. We could be looking at, you know, two tied records going through all kind of tiebreakers. Somebody's in, somebody's out or somebody's, you know, the three or four, somebody else is the six or seven in terms of seating. Um, so I truly enjoy the back loaded schedule. Um, I think we're gonna add. I think it adds another layer of complication and another layer of intrigue because it is. Is the division's not over? You know, normally in this situation, if the uh, oh a little bit of COVID news, COVID winning again, uh, Emmanuel quickly of the New York Knicks has entered health and safety protocols um, per Sham Sharanya of the Athletic. But um, back to football. This game is a very important um, game. And so, because they're in the division, the winner of this game has the advantage, the inside track rather, to uh, catching the Dallas Cowboys if the Cowboys were to stumble. Or if the Cowboys were to not stumble and maintain their pace, they have the inside track um, into getting a wild card seed opposed to the other one. So, massive game between Washington and Eagles. Washington, another team dealing with COVID. Uh, Taylor Heineke tested positive for COVID this morning. Um, and so he's out. And so, you, you know, you just see in another team that they're affected strongly by COVID. Um, your starting quarterback and arguably the biggest game of the year for you is no longer going to play in that game. Um, and so now the Eagles have a decided advantage. Um, I will pick this game and it's not in Jack's pack. I'm going to go with the Eagles due to the Taylor Heineke news. If Taylor Heineke was there, I probably wouldn't watch the football team. But no Heineke, uh, no win for Washington. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles here. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Nick Sirianni, and that crew get a big win. Uh, one they desperately need. The Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Tennessee Titans is a massive game as well. Like I said, this time of year, a lot of these games, most of these games have um, a ton of playoff implications. For the Steelers, they're trying to stay in the, in the AFC North. Um, Baltimore is probably not going to have Lamar Jackson this week uh, due to his two his sprained ankle, which means they're probably going to lose that game to the Packers. So the Ravens come down a notch. Um, this, the Bengals are struggling. They have a good opponent versus the Broncos. We'll talk about that game in a minute. But they have a good opponent in the Broncos. They may lose, come down a notch. Well, now you're looking at the Browns, COVID rack playing the Raiders. Um... The Ravens are going to start Tyler Huntley versus a very good Green Bay Packers team. And the Cleveland uh, and the Cincinnati Bengals, rather, are playing a very good Broncos. They're playing a good Broncos team. So all three of those teams could lose. Steelers could win and get a leg up um, and get a one-game advantage this week immediately just from uh, winning their game over the Titans. So huge game versus the Titans. And if they don't win... Then, or rather, if let's say the Bengals win and they assume first place or the Ravens win somehow and they keep first place, etc., then the Steelers are still in it fighting for the wild card. Uh, Football to the Tennessee Titans side, Derrick Henry got hurt. They were the one seed in the AFC and the road to the Super Bowl would have gone through uh, Tennessee, would have gone through Nashville. Since that injury, they had a couple of good wins right out of the gate right after. They beat the Saints without them and they beat the Rams. They have struggled since. Um... People are starting to really key on the fact they can't run without Henry. And so they're starting to tee off on Ryan Tannehill, play a lot of coverage, uh, make Tannehill throw in the tight windows. And that's going to Ryan Tannehill to do a lot of things he's uncomfortable doing. Um, and so they are starting to falter now. They are, I believe, they are the three or the four. Kansas City is currently the one. New England's currently the two. Um, 
I, I, I do believe that they are ahead of the AFC North team. Are they, no, I believe Baltimore's ahead of them. So they might be the fourth seed now. And you got uh, Indianapolis nipping at their heels is the only team to really challenge them in the division. Um, however, seeing that five seed could be a problem. Um, just looking at the AFC, you know, like I said, that could be the Bills. Um, that could be the Chargers, that five seed. That could be the Colts. Uh, and, you know, a division opponent for the third time. It's hard to sweep an division opponent three times. Um, you know, that could be the Patriots for some You know, that, that four seed could face a really, really good football team in the fifth seed. Um, it was Derrick Henry maybe, what, on one week being back. So there's no real depending on him there. And so, there's I mean, the Tennessee Titans are fighting for a lot here. They're fighting to keep their division lead. Like I said, the Colts are nipping at their heels. Um, and they're fighting to have some semblance of a chance at at least hosting more than one playoff round. So very huge uh, game for both sides there. Massive playoff implications. And, of course, I touched on it a minute ago, but Bengals versus the Broncos. Um, wild card implications like crazy. Another one of those games where this can come down to who owns the tiebreaker to get in. Because the Bengals win this game, and they say them and the Broncos have the same record, head-to-head tiebreaker, Bengals get in. Vice versa for the Broncos. If they win this game, and them and the Broncos have the exact same record, then you would be looking at the Broncos owning the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Bengals and the Broncos getting in. Conversely, the Broncos are only fighting for a wild card at this point. Uh, Kansas City separated themselves from the pack. Chargers had a chance at it last night to take first place from the Kansas City Chiefs, knocking the Chiefs down to the five seed. But uh, they blundered it last night. And so it's pretty much the Chiefs are going to win that division. And so the Broncos trying to play for a wild card spot. On the side of the Bengals, they're fighting for a playoffs. They're fighting for the division lead. Um, because again, Tyler Huntley is probably going to start this week for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers beats Tyler Huntley. That being said, that division is going to come wide open. Um, and so because of which the Bengals, I think are playing for a little bit more. They are uh, playing for a little bit more pride, playing for a little bit more respect. Um, and you know, my rule, good teams with a little bit more motivation is going to get that win. Um, there's not in Jack's pack. So I am going to pick it. I'm going to pick the Cincinnati Bengals to beat the Denver Broncos, although it will not be easy. That Broncos team is very opportunistic, um, and they're playing with you know a lot on their minds and hearts after the unfortunate passing of Demarius Thomas. So it will not be easy for the Bengals to win that game, but I do believe that they pull it off. And of course, everyone's least favorite or favorite or indifferent coach. Now he was polarizing. You either don't like him or you love him. Urban Meyer has been fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars after 13 games. He ties the fourth shortest head coaching tenure in the NFL. Uh, the record would never be beat. Bill Belichick one day um, <laughs> with the New York Jets. He signed on to be the Jets coach. And then Bill Parcells retires. And But they already made a kind of a back channel deal where Belichick will take over for him. Um, and so the next day after signing with the Jets, he writes on a piece of paper, I'm, I'm resigning as a head coach of the Jets, hands it off to the media, and then announce, and then he's announced as the Patriots head coach. Um, he doesn't like the Jets, like at all. <laughs> he shows it every single week. Every time they play, he tries to put up 60 on the Jets if he can. Um, you know, and then there was a guy for the Rams who didn't last. He lasted two preseason games. But, yeah, Urban Meyer, and there was a guy who lasted like eight, nine games. 
Urban, Urban Meyer is out after 13 games. Um, very tumultuous. He had enough drama for 10 years and won. Um, hired a shit the conditioning coach, five for being racist and offensive. Um, drafts, you think your first round pick on a running back when you have an all pro, uh, pro bowl level running back already on the roster. Uh, bringing in Tim Tebow, making him a tight end to try and get him on the roster. Um, calling out coaches, defend, telling them to defend their resumes, um, berating them, stuff like I'm a winner and you guys aren't clearly. Um, kicking Josh Lambeau, which I don't even know how you kick a grown NFL man. I don't have to kick anybody, but I don't know how to kick a man in the NFL and that man doesn't fight you. He, he kicked the kicker. You know, he didn't kick, um, you know, Shaq Griffin. You know, he didn't. He didn't kick James Robinson. You know, he kicked the kicker. Somebody he thought he could physically intimidate. Um, and it's just, it was a lot of, you know, the bar incident with a team lost in Ohio. And instead of flying back with the team, he went to his bar he owns and had a party, including, you know, caught, caught him on film with a young lady uh, that was not his wife. Um, so much, what so, so very much went down in these few months. Um, ultimately, Shad, owner Shad Khan decided that, you know, apparently the trust was lost after the bar incident. And Shad Khan said Urban had to earn it back. And he had not done that. And so he relieved Urban of his duties um, a couple of afternoons ago. But if man, it was it was it was crazy. It, it just was a lot happening. It was over a few weeks ago. It was really over when Trevor Lawrence, who I promise you, I have not, I don't know a memorable quote from him, and I've heard him speak a lot, said that there was a lot of stuff in the building needs to be cleaned up. When 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 your when your rookie starting quarterback feels comfortable enough to say there's stuff in the building that needs to be cleaned up, and both of us be successful, and it was over. And then you get to the point where you read the owner's letter, Shad, owner Shad Khan's letter. He pretty much said we had to clean. He, he basically quoted Trevor Lawrence. He didn't quote it, but it was pretty much the same verbiage Trevor Lawrence used. So it's seen Lawrence was over uh, Urban Meyer. He used to dabble Sweeney, who had he ran a very tight ship at Clemson, runs a very tight ship at Clemson. And so he was over Urban Meyer and all the drama and the mess um, that Urban did. And so Urban was out. Um, I think that's it for him in coaching. It's done. Uh, people are saying it's so bad. It's the only thing he really remember for NFL circles. Yes, he's still the second greatest college football, modern college football coach, definitely ever. Uh, right behind Nick Saban, uh, you know, Bowling Green, Florida, Ohio State speak for themselves uh, in terms of Urban Meyer, Utah. I believe he was at Utah at one point. Urban Meyer speaks that that speaks for themselves in terms of college football. In the NFL, it was an absolute abject disaster. Um, one of the worst hires in NFL history. And when you're in the city, and but Jacksonville has hope. Jacksonville has Trevor Lawrence, the university regarded as a top QB prospect. The last year would have been this year, would have been the year after that, probably. Um, $75 million in cash space. You can live in Jacksonville, Florida. You have an owner at this point that's willing to spend because he has to. He has to erase the Urban Meyer era almost as quickly as it got started. And so if you're a Kellen Moore, if you're an Eric Bieniemy, if you're one of those guys that could be looking to get that head coaching jump. Ty Bowles, um, Byron Leftwich. Jacksonville is in a very good spot. 
You have a quarterback you can mold. See, I named all offensive coaches. You have a quarterback you can mold, a roster you can build quickly. $75 million in cap space is a lot of cap. That's six Pro Bowlers. I mean, in theory, an average, average cost of a Pro Bowl will take out a quarterback. I mean, a pass rusher, Tyler pass rusher to get you to move team might cost you $22 million a year. Um, you know, but an average cost of a Pro Bowl of a player is about $16, $17 million. You have $75 million. That's five Pro Bowlers. Or a little under five Pro Bowl level players. Drop five Pro Bowlers onto Jacksonville's roster. Put one or two in the offensive line. Uh, put one in the secondary. Put one in the receiving core. Uh, drop one in the linebacking core. And you've got a pretty good ball club. And so, yeah, and then they have the, and then they have their own first round pick, which is presumably at this moment will be top five. Um, and so, Jacksonville's in a very good spot for a young, for a coach, offensive minded to come in there and really change the tide of Jacksonville. But up next, we're gonna jump into our NFL betting segment, Jacks Pack. guys and welcome back into the show and now we are going to talk about jack's pack our nfl betting segment another winning week last week three and two that brings us to 33 and 37 on the season a little bit under 50 percent we're hanging around at 47 percent remember a professional better wants to hit 56 57 percent of his bets and so we're at 47 right now but hey back-to-back winning weeks we're coming out of the dip in it and that terrible bell curve dip we had we're coming out of that really excited about that really love the numbers this week big time week if you may want to parlay these numbers to try and up your odds it's a very good week for that um i believe vegas kind of settled down a little bit in terms of the numbers being all kind of wonky and out of whack I believe that Vegas has calmed down a hair. And so we're going to jump right into this. We're going to start off with my favorite number of the week, my lock of the week. Patriots plus two and a half at the Colts. Um, Admittedly, I didn't understand the line. I think the Patriots are going to win this game. And and I spoke about it earlier. I said, man, it's going to be hard for the Patriots to deal with the Colts running attack. Um, And, you know, it's going to be hard for the... um, there's a hard for the Patriots to do with the Colts running attack. Where Patriots are built more of a pass stopper at this point. The Colts really want to run the ball to win. But ultimately, I think Carson Wentz is going to make a, a critical mistake or two. Mac Jones won't make that mistake. And um, I believe that the Patriots will win the game or at least win it, you know, lose it by two or less. If you got this number at three, it's a beautiful number. Two and a half kind of feels like a hook. Uh, if you got it at three, it's great. But I would take the Patriots to win this game flat out outright. Uh, so take the Patriots plus two and a half over the Colts. Cardinals minus 12 and a half at the Lions. Take the Cardinals. Um, the Cardinals are hurt right now. DeAndre Hopkins is out, which is which, which matters. He's out uh, with a uh, torn MCL that he uh, he's having surgery on in order to stabilize it for the hope. That the Cardinals make an extended playoff run, he will return for the NFC Championship game and or Super Bowl. But the Cardinals are hurting right now. They gave that game away in their opinion, probably to the Rams. Um, almost stole it back. They played poorly, 
and now you get a on the road on to a Lions team that I'm sure you know the Cardinals have not lost the game on the road. I expect them to start now. The Lions traditionally do not get blown out. I just don't see a path for them currently in order to properly score enough points to stay with the Cardinals. So I'm going to take the Cardinals minus 12 and a half over the Lions. Saints plus 11 and a half at the Bucks. Take the Saints, and the juicier pick is the plus seven on the first half score. Um, the Saints tend to have Brady's number. He's pretty much admitted at this point that the Saints have had his number lately, uh, or since he's been at Tampa Bay Buccaneer. They've, he's played them four times. He's only looked kind of good one of them. He's looked bad in three of them, um, and they have beaten him three of the four times, and they should have beat him the fourth time, but Drew Brees fell apart and Jared Cook fumbled. And so it gave Tom Brady and the crew just enough juice in life to pull off that victory. Otherwise, Tom Brady would be 0-4 against the Saints since joining the Buccaneers. Um, plus 11.5 is a lot of points. The Saints have been winning these games. But even if they don't win this game, I figure they keep it close. Run the ball a lot with Taysom Hill, uh, Alvin Kamara. Uh, hit big pass plays when they're open because the Bucs secondary can still be had. Or big crossers because those... Linebackers Levante David and Devin White want to step up and stuff the runs. A lot of play action crosses I expect from them uh, this week. Running the ball, ball control. I just expect the Saints to keep it close if they don't win it outright again. I've got the Saints plus 11 and a half over the Bucks. My favorite spread numbers. Oh man, this next game between the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers has my favorite spread number on planet Earth even. I love it. Even 0.5, one, one and a half. Love those numbers because there's no rational score in the, you can't tie. I mean, you can tie in the NFL, but that's almost impossible. Um, and there's no real score. Like 28, 27 is one of the few rational scores where one point at a final, you know, 10, nine, maybe, but then like one point is the decider. So I love one and even numbers. Uh, take the Steelers here. They're playing for a little bit more. The Titans are currently safe-ish in their division in the AFC South. Um, especially if the Pacers do flat out beat the Colts. The Titans have been in a very good spot to win the AFC South. They'll have a three-game lead with three left. Um, they'd have to lose all their games pretty much. The Steelers are playing for a lot. They're playing for a right to get back into the AFC North hunt. And they're also playing for a wild card spot. Uh, if they do not, in fact, get into the AFC North hunt, they are playing for a wild card spot. Um, team playing a little more. Team playing for a little more is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Therefore, I've got the Steelers over the Titans in a pick em game. And then finally, Jets at Dolphins. Dolphins minus, minus 9.5. Take the Dolphins. Um, Jack Wilson's going to have a very bad day. Spoiler alert. This is not a prediction. It's a spoiler that Zach Wilson will have a very bad day. Um, he's played his worst two games in his career against Bill Belichick. Now he's going up against Bill Belichick's most successful disciple in Brian Flores. They're going to employ a lot of the New England-style schemes. They're going to sick the dogs of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on those Jets receivers. They're down Corey Davis, so they're not very good. I expect the Dolphins to win this game very comfortably. They, the Jets don't really produce a pass rush, so Tua should not be under that much pressure. Uh, yes, they lost Jalen Waddle to the reserve COVID list, although they are getting a couple of running backs back. They did lose Jalen Waddle, but I am going to say that the Dolphins win this game fairly easily, um, but definitely cover nine and a half. So Dolphins minus nine and a half over the Jets. 
And just to recap, I have got the Patriots plus two and a half over the Colts, Cardinals minus 12 and a half over the Lions, Saints plus 11 and a half over the Bucks, Steelers over the Titans in a pick 'em, and Dolphins minus nine and a half over the Jets. Now, up next, we are going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. guys and welcome back into the show and now we're going to shift to the nba and talk about a little bit what's going down with the association um just like we spoke about in the nfl the omicron variant um and covid in general is running rampant through the league it feels like every two or three minutes we're getting multiple guys added to the covid list on teams um like right now, for instance, in the NFL, the Browns just added Kareem Hunt, Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison, Case Keenum, Jacob Phillips, Mac Wilson, Tony Fields, and A.J. Green, the cornerback A.J. Green, all to the reserve COVID list. Um, Kendrick Nunn is going on the list. Sacramento Kings have had outbreaks. Uh, Chicago Bulls are in the middle of an outbreak. Uh, I feel like the entire NBA is in the middle of an outbreak. The Lakers had six or seven guys out. Uh, it's absolutely tremendous what's happening right now in the NBA um, in dealing with COVID. But we're trying to, but of course, the NBA is trying to play games through it. Uh, they've sh- they've canceled Bulls games or postponed them rather. They have shifted plenty of other games around. Um, they're doing their best to not move the schedule. It, it affects fans when you move games. Obviously, it affects seating. It affects the players because now those Bulls games may instead of you having a three or four day break somewhere, now you have a game that day. And you may end up with four and fives. So you may end up with back to backs. Back to back to backs, um, three games and four nights, four games and five nights, that sort of thing. And they're trying to avoid those uh, scheduling issues in the NBA. But sometimes these things are unavoidable. And we're almost getting to that point now with COVID running rampant. But let's touch base on just a few teams. So the Lakers are still up and down. They are struggling right now, but they had a good win. For instance, I guess the Luka list, rather, the Luka list, Dallas Mavericks. Um, Luka didn't play, obviously, and they did a good job containing uh, containing the big fella, Porzingis. But guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, had a good game. Uh, Jalen Brunson had a good game. Several guys off the bench uh, for the Mavericks had a good game and kept it much closer than it probably should have been against the Lakers. Um, but it was punctuated by Russell Westbrook hitting a three to get it into overtime. Uh, he was one for eight from three, and that was the one he made. It was felt very LeVar Ball rulish. And people talk about how Lonzo would go two for ten, and as long as you make two that matter. And Russ went one for eight, but he made the one he had to make. And then Austin Reeves nails the game winner. Rookie, undrafted, Austin Reeves out of uh, out of Oklahoma nails the game winner. Uh, Hillbilly Kobe. Uh, LeBron called him AR-15, so I'm sure that's running rampant now on social media as far as that being his nickname. But you could not have, I mean, there was no way you could have convinced me Austin Reeves would hit the game winner for the Lakers against the Mavericks. Because A, I would have told you the game should need a game winner. B, I would have told you that either AD, LeBron, or Russ was taking it. Um, but LeBron got double teamed, kicked it over. They kicked it again to Russ. Russ, instead of shooting the three that he had just made, it showed a lot of maturity there. He had just made that in the exact same corner, a three to tie to go to overtime. He, um, 
he doesn't shoot the three, takes two good dribbles. The paint collapses. He kicks to Austin Reeves, who nails the wing three with like .9 seconds left. Mass had no timeouts. It was an, it was a big time shot uh, from the rookie. He kind of ingratiated him. If you notice on a lot of LeBron-led teams, he always has one guy who's not a star that he's really, really close to. Um, if you look at in the on those Heat teams, it was Norris Cole. Um, you look at the Cavaliers teams, it was J.R. Smith. You got to L.A., it was Alex Caruso. Um, now it's starting to look like Austin Reeves may be that guy, where it's just a guy that LeBron has on the floor with him late. He trusts him. He, uh, he guy's not a star, but he keeps that um he keeps that guy on the floor pretty much at all times um especially in big moments that guy will be on the floor um and so that is huge to have a guy like austin reeves ready to go on a lebron led team but there's also rumors swirling about by the lakers mainly russell westbrook and that his time with the Lakers could be borrowed at this point. That it's not a, it's it's more of a matter of when, not if he is traded. Um, it started off as reported internal discussions. Now it has evolved into um, full blown conversations that Russ has been involved, potentially been involved in trade talks um, for a guy like a Ben Simmons or um, other pieces or multiple pieces. So instead of you know, trading Russ one for one for something, it could potentially be Russ for three or four pieces um, to try and acquire a lot of talent to surround um, LeBron James and the rest of the crew, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, etc. Um, Russ getting traded away from the Lakers, I think, would crush him. He's an L.A. kid. He grew up a Lakers fan, and now he's the starting point guard for the Lakers, which is has been the golden position in basketball since Maddie Johnson took over in 1979. Being a starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers has been the position. Think about some of the guys they've had it since 79. Obviously, Maddie Johnson. You have Derek Fisher held it for a while. Steve Nash has held it. Um, you know, it's not as I mean, it is the position, especially for LA kid, to start for the Lakers. And I think getting traded away from the Lakers would crush him. But I don't think he needs to do it right now. He's doing well. They're starting to put the pieces together. Um, they're starting to figure out just how to make everything work. Um, like I said, Russ not taking that shot was huge to me. Um, and driving and kicking it to Austin Reeves because it shows that he is working on not taking the shots that the defense is giving him and basically wanting him to take. And so that is massive growth, in my opinion, from Russell Westbrook. So kudos to him. Also, the Lakers make more news of point guards by signing uh, one game G League experience Isaiah Thomas. The former All-Star uh, made his debut for the Rush, or for the Gold rather, which is Denver's um, G League affiliate. He made one, had one game, had 42 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, and he was called up by the Lakers uh, via hardship exception. Because Russell Westbrook, along with several others, Dwight Howard, THT, Kendrick Nunn, have all gone into COVID protocols. And so, uh, IT will probably come in for 10 days, probably get some minutes because they're going to need him to score off the bench, relieve some of that load off LeBron. Like I said, he scored 42 in the G League in his debut, so clearly he's in shape. You know, so we're definitely going to keep our eye on that. Shifting east from LA, uh, east and south. 
Um, the New Orleans Pelicans have been in the news for a multitude of reasons. Um, one, Ben Simmons rumors, something I never thought would connect, but reportedly Ben Simmons, um, uh, 76ers rather, and the New Orleans Pelicans have discussed the deal surrounding Ben Simmons that did not include Brandon Ingram or Zion, which is a very interesting situation because the, the Sixers have been dead set on getting an all-star back. So why would they make a deal with the Pelicans not getting either of the Pelicans all-stars? Unless there was a third team involved in which the Pelicans would facilitate some picks to that team to pull that all-star out, a la Karis LeVert, a la DeMontis Sabonis, to pull that all-star out of its location to Philly. The Pelicans pick up Ben Simmons, and that team, whatever the team of the all-star leaves, I'm, I'm thinking Indiana, like I said, LeVert or Sabonis, they end up with three or four Pelican first-round picks, a Laker pick and two Philly picks or something. They get them in up on a massive amount of picks to try and rebuild their team from the ground up. Um, Indiana, like I said, is the, the location I would look at because they've already had issues. They already announced pretty much that they were going to start from scratch. And so why not get a guy like a Sabonis or a Levert to Philly? Ben Simmons goes south to New Orleans and Indiana ends up with five or six first round draft picks over the next three seasons you know they get two first round picks to try a year to try and really rebuild that organization but speaking of one of those all-stars zion williamson is out another four will we reevaluate it rather in another four to six weeks um he took a foot injection in los angeles flew to los angeles and for a foot injection that is designed to promote healing of the bone in his foot it's not healing properly um that could be from being rushed back that could be from weight um, but it, the bone is not healing properly at this time. So he was he underwent a foot injection in Los Angeles in order to try and, quote unquote, promote healing um, in the bone. So definitely something to keep our eye on there. Four to six weeks places him back around game 50, um, which means he'll have 30 games to try and get the Pelicans from possibly the 12 or 13 seed to the 10 seed to even have a shot at the play in for a shot at the playoffs. Um but that is definitely something that we're going to keep our eye on there. As a, Pel- as a Pelican fan myself, I keep my eye on that situation. And Zion's one of the biggest stars in the NBA. But we haven't seen him on a basketball court in nearly a year. Um, and so that's going to be something that we're going to keep our eye on, definitely. Uh, Kyrie Irving potentially teased his return. Um, there was a report that came out that the Nets were starting to soften. Or, or reportedly, there was movement on Kyrie and the Nets' side to get him back on the floor. Um, James Harden has been a shell of himself in perfect honesty since the rule changes and Kevin Durant's having to log heavy minutes. So maybe the team is thinking, hell, even for half the half the season's games, if he can come in and play 30, 32 minutes a night, relieve two minutes off Kevin Durant, having to carry so much of the offensive load, it would be worth it. Um, and then Kyrie posted a video to his Instagram of him putting on lacing up basketball shoes further, in my opinion, teasing the return. Um, so... It'll be very interesting to see if Kyrie does come back, how they handle a part-time player, um, because this opens up another world of questions. Like, let's say you go on a 10-game road trip, and none of them happen to go to L.A. <laughs> then Kyrie plays all 10 games. You guys go 8-2. and two. And then you go for a seven-game homestand. Kyrie can't play any of those games, and you go 2-5. and five. And you get questions of, well, if Kyrie was here, would that have made a difference, and et cetera. And I thought they were trying to avoid that um, by having him just set out the year. And then you know for a fact, like, yeah, we don't have to worry about 
you know, those random questions, but apparently they may be softening their stance or Kyrie's moving towards getting vaccinated. So we would definitely keep our eye on that, especially to see which one is the thing that ultimately changes, whether Kyrie's vaccination status changes or the net status on a part-time player changes. And lastly, big congratulations to uh, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors for breaking the NBA's all-time three-point record by nailing his 2,974th three-pointer in 500 less games than Ray Allen did it. Um, massive achievement in the garden. It was one. Of, it was a very Steph shot. It wasn't a bomb, but it was, you know, off the catch, over somebody, kicking the feet out nothing but net it was absolutely spectacular the crowd went wild um they stopped the game for several minutes he did a jersey presentation after the game with ray allen and reggie miller the guys who are now second and third all time in the three-point race um great moment his parents were there um you know he handed the ball that he handed that ball to his dad um it was a spectacular moment um, and it just it just cemented what we've known for the past few years that he's the greatest shooter to ever touch a basketball. Now he permanently holds the record for shooting for a three point shooting, and his efficiency and the number of shots he's taken, all that stuff, is much higher than anybody else anywhere around him in the standings. And so it's a big congratulations and a big official check mark feather in his hat in regards to how he has played the game and changed the game for that matter. But up next, we are going to have our best for last, which is going to be a discussion on what's going on in the NFL COVID-wise. guys and welcome back into the show and now we're going to talk about what's happening in the nfl so i actually had a different best for last planned and we'll just move it to next week um that's what we'll do next week we talk about college football and early signing day huge news going down there um and prep for the bowl season but we are going to shift just a little bit we are going to change um change our best for last because the nfl has done a lot of shifting for their games so first off we have games shift back from sunday so now the las vegas raiders will play the cleveland browns at 5 p.m eastern time on monday instead of playing on sunday or or saturday they're going to play on monday it got moved two days back in an effort to not have forfeits because as we know forfeits result in neither team getting paid now the browns will lose the game because they've had the COVID outbreak but neither team would get paid for it so in order to try to avoid that the nfl has come up with this uh, schedule of shoving the games back conversely there are two games that are supposed to be scheduled on sunday that are now going to be played simultaneously on tuesday and that is the seattle seahawks at the los angeles rams due to the rams COVID outbreak and seattle's had a couple COVID cases themselves and the Washington football team is going through an outbreak and they're going to play the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, this will be a seven o'clock Eastern time on Tuesday. So uh, we've had three games rearranged. There aren't expected to be any more rearrangements. 
but this is also affecting now policy has been affected as a memo was sent out um, throughout the league in regards to changes in policy um, in regards to why the games were scheduled why they were moved uh, what television channel they will be on etc etc but you know owners like Mark Davis has said that they're at a competitive disadvantage the Raiders by moving the game two days um, several players have spoken out saying we thought the games were going to be canceled or forfeited um, but I don't think the players are really remembering rather that if a game is forfeited neither side gets paid so these guys the NFL is going to do everything they can in order to keep moving games because ultimately they don't want to forfeit games and to have um, neither side get paid so the kudos to the NFL for trying to figure it out for willing to play games on Tuesday I know last year that was something that you know the nfl waited to like the day of something sometimes you know change games but now they're gonna push uh games back to tuesday so everything went back two days um they're doing it 40 hours in advance instead of the day before or the night before announcing oh yeah we're gonna move a game you know so kudos to the nfl congratulations to them i wish they did better with the time because 5 5 p.m eastern time most people are still at work especially when you get past the rocky mountains we can get in the western mountain time zones but they're doing the best they can. The kudos to Roger Goodell and the rest of that decision-making crew for getting this done. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. As always, you can like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTimesports. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.